Good morning. We're going to be in Numbers 11 today. Numbers 11, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Uh, I highly encourage you to read this if you've never read it before. It's great. But before we get started, I don't know about you, but I'm sure you have a favorite food. Yes? Is this a safe one? Some people are like, I don't know, I just like food. I saw that face over there. But my favorite food is probably garlic mashed potatoes. It's a favorite adult food. I can't remember what it was as a kid, but garlic mashed potatoes were something my wife and I found when we were dating, and um, after we got married, we found Buca de Beppo's, and the garlic mashed potatoes have this kind of sensual texture when you eat them. I mean, it is phenomenal. And then the garlic just pops in your mouth like it's the 4th of July fireworks. It is amazing. But there was a time, just a few short years before that, where I never thought I would eat a potato again. It happened after my fourth year of school when I was still trying to finish and my roommate and I decided that we were going to live on potatoes because you could buy an eight pound bag for like three dollars and why wouldn't you do that? And there's so many different things you can make with potatoes, he says. You can, I mean, there's there's baked potatoes and then there's mashed potatoes and then there's julienne potatoes, there's au gratin potatoes, there's potato wedges, there's french fries. I mean, we could just go across the globe and go over to another place. Plus, you can put so many different things on potatoes salsa, cheese, bacon, if we could actually afford cheese and bacon, but, you know, we didn't think that through until about week 12 when I'm like, if I have to eat another potato. But today, we're going to look at how it's so easy to miss the good gifts that God puts right in front of us because we want something else. Numbers 11, we're going to start in verse 4. It says, The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt for free at no cost. And also the cucumbers, melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and it looked like resin. The people went around gathering it in the mornings, and then they ground it in a hand mill, or they crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot, or they made it into loaves. And it tasted like something made with olive oil. When the dew settled on camp at night, the manna also came down. In the morning they would gather it. Now Moses heard the people and every family wailing at the entrance of their tents. And the Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. It's actually the same word, angry. And he asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep on wailing, give us meat to eat. 
I cannot carry all of these people myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes, and do not let me face my own ruin. And the Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there and I will take some of the power of your spirit that is on you and I will put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. And then tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord has heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat to eat and you will eat it. You will not even eat it for just one day or two days or five days or 10 days or even 20. No, you will eat it for a whole month until it comes out your nostrils. Isn't that great? And you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Would you pray with me? Lord, two stories that you've intermixed, meat and spirit. Why? Why is it so easy to miss the manna and so easy to want something else? God, this isn't just a story from thousands of years ago. It's, it's our story, and I pray that your spirit would speak to us in it. That you'd use me in spite of me and that your word would come forth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've got uh, the rabble among us. I don't know if you've used that word lately, rabble or riffraff. It's not actually found anywhere else in the scriptures. Some people think that maybe it's talked about when the Israelites come through the Red Sea, it says that a mixed multitude was with them, but it's not actually the same. There's no concreteness there, but there's this sense of rabble is the people who have left Egypt. They've come out of slavery, and they were there for 400 years, which means their parents would have been slaves, their grandparents would have been slaves, their great-grandparents would have been slaves. They would have thought like slaves. Um, This probably isn't a fair comparison, but uh, if you've ever studied poverty, you'll see that when people fall into poverty, they often fall into a generational poverty. And they they talk about, the the people that um, study this talk about this way of thinking. And it's very much applies across all socioeconomic levels that when we start down this path, there's this way of thinking that happens. Has anyone done the whole 30? I know one of you, have, oh, we've had more than one, a couple, three, Woo! look at all these people. Well, my friend Allison did it, and so I'm like, Allison, would you tell me about that? Because there's no way I'm going to do this. And so I'm just being honest. And she, she said, well, I just wanted to feel better. And so I had friends that had done it, and it worked for them. And so, hey, they spoke highly of it. They had great experiences. Why not? So enthusiastically she got the books and enthusiastically she read the books and she was confident, ready for the challenge. She bought the approved 30 grocery list, which if you don't know, it's quite a challenge. 
because you can't eat sugar or sweetener of any kind, can't eat peanuts, you can't eat dairy, soy, grain, and for some of you this might be a show spot, but no alcohol. So this is like, you cannot eat these foods, but then there's all these things that you can eat, which by the way, leeks, onions, cucumbers, melons, and onions, they're all on the list, so hey for Egypt. But Allison was just saying, hey, the first week I felt great. I don't know if this was true for you guys, but like I had more energy, I slept better. Oh, it was just awesome. Then I went on a camping weekend, and so I was a little bit nervous, so I just packed so much on the list so that I could be prepared for that weekend because I didn't want to be out of food and have to just eat carrots the whole time. I made that part up. But by about week three, getting a little tired of the uh, Whole30 list, and probably not to the best move. Let's go to the state fair and walk by Sweet Martha's Cookies and the mini donut. And like, oh, there's a little bit of pain there. And then, you know, I don't know if this happens to you, but somebody has a hard day at work or a hard day at school. And it's like, oh, if I could just have some potato chips, even if they're cooked in the right oil. No, because the whole 30 is about changing behaviors and mindset. And so it's supposed to be torture. Again, my words, not yours. But, <laughs> but the interesting thing was, like in that moment when she came home and said, oh, I just want to eat, I don't know, insert your non-approved Whole30 item, like cheese, donuts, wine. Oh, if I could just, her husband's like, well, then why don't you? Hmm. See, as we close this ghost story series where we've looked at what it means to live this Christ-centered, spirit-led life, where we've looked at how we need to trust God, how we've got to surrender control, how we've got to let him lead us to scary places and and know that he is going to be there through that, how he's given us gifts that he wants us to use, how he has, has brought us to a community where we can see him at work, how in the end of that, as we conclude that, this, this really does bring us to the end of that message because this story is all about seeing what God has right in front of us and saying yes to it and saying, I'll enjoy that. And that's what I believe his spirit is doing among us right now. And, and it's so easy to miss. In fact, it starts with just two simple words. Maybe you caught it in the text, verse four or five the rabble among them started to crave a craving. If only we could have meat. Do two words send us down a path to the pit of discontent any faster than if only? Somebody said, I I couldn't find who, who said it, but somebody said choice is the idol of the 21st century. Just think about that. Choice is the idol of the 21st century. Choice makes us see what we have as a curse and not a gift. And I think we do it all the time. Maybe you started a new job and you were so excited to be in your field of interest. You were so excited to have the boss that you have and the the conversations about how this place was going to be different, and the coworkers that you met seemed like they were fun to get to know, and you were just excited to make a difference in your field of interest. But five years in, you're like, if only my boss wasn't such an imbecile. 
I mean, if only my coworkers had a fashion sense or could have some appropriate body odor cleansing habits. I mean, if only, (sighs) curse this job. Uh, We do it with these like fancy little computers. Like when we buy them, we go, oh my gosh, do you know, like, do you know how many apps that I have and that I can actually get to pretty much anywhere in the entire world in about 12 seconds? Oh, it's amazing. But a year later, this phone. If only I would upgrade to the new model. If only I wouldn't have put the new software on because now it takes 12 seconds to get anywhere in the world, especially if I'm not in 4G. Oh, curse this device. The new ones, they get there in six seconds. Just maybe. Anybody married in the room? Because on your wedding day, oh, the sparkle in her eye, the smile on his face. I mean, he looks good in that suit. He looks amazing in the dress. And there's this spark, this chemistry, this, you can just sense the romance and the adventure that's going to happen through life. And about 10 years in, he's got a scowl on his face because she just won't call when she's behind schedule. And she's got a glare in her eye because if he puts his socks on the top of the hamper instead of in the hamper one more time, and if he can't fold the stinking laundry, I mean, you put it in, you insert the little detergent. I mean, it even comes in a little packet now. How hard is that? And I mean, come on, we've been married 10 years. Why can't you fold the clothes? Just fold, that's all. Curse this spouse. It's so tempting to see the gift that might even be a gift from God that's right in front of you and to want something else. And I love the scripture because I used to think that the scripture was stories about holy people that were so much better than me and were designed to make me feel guilty. And instead, there's story after story of people that are just like me, and I bet just like you, that whine and complain and compare and miss the things that God puts in front of them because they want something else. So the rabble craves a craving, if you have a more literal translation. It's this word ta-ava. It means to desire or to covet or to want something badly. It's the word that's used when Eve looks at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and says, ooh, that fruit. It's the word in the Ten Commandments that God says, thou shalt not covet. And the rabble craves a craving could be any kind of craving, but they crave this meat, this fish from Egypt. And it's not just fish from Egypt. If you really look, it's like, we could eat all the fish we want for free. Like it was an all-expense-paid vacation. It's not a cruise. They were in slavery. But somehow we miss that when we want something. And it's not just that, it's, it's the melons and the leeks and the cucumbers and the onions. It's the variety. But all we have 
is this manna. Interesting, though, the text is very deliberate to describe what they could do with the manna. Did you catch that? We can grind it. We can put it in mortar. We can bake it into cakes like puffy pastries. We could make it into bread. We could have it be as moist as olive oil, something with olive oil. I bet they could even make it into cinnamon sugar-covered mini donuts. All kinds of varieties. Oh, and it wasn't a lot of work to harvest. They didn't have to grow it. It literally was a gift from God. They called it the bread of heaven because God brought it with the dew in the morning. All they had to do was go pack it up. In fact, God was very, the first time that the slaves of Egypt left this land of Egypt, they were complaining that they didn't have any food and God didn't get mad at them then. It's Exodus 16 if you want to look at it later. God doesn't get mad. He says, here, I'm going to give you this bread from heaven and you're going to go pack it up and some of you might need a lot, some of you might need a little. You should probably estimate an omer per person, which is like a two liter of cola pop, as they say in Minnesota. Uh, but everybody had enough. The text is very clear about that. Some, there was no excess. Some gathered lots, some gathered little, but they all had enough. So I want you to have that picture of a two liter of cola in your mind of what they gathered with the manna per person. Because they're craving this craving. And they want more and they want something else. So if you look at the very end of the chapter, you'll see that God does give them the meat He says, consecrate yourself or make yourself holy. Prepare because I am coming and I will give you the meat. And it will be so much that you won't know what to do. And as they gather this meat, it says in verse 31, a wind came and drove the quail, the meat in. It was scattered two cubits deep and all around as far as the eye could see. All that day and night, And the next day, the people went out and gathered the quail. Okay, so when they gathered the manna, they gathered it in the morning, and they gathered their leader. But now it's describing how when this comes down, it's like crazed hysteria. People gather all day, all night, and all the next day, and no one has less than 10 homers, which is 2,200 liters of meat. So just think, stack 1,200 two-liter bottles of Coke in your house. That's how much quail they had. And that was the person who gathered the least. See, why does God get so angry? I'm convinced it's not about the meat. I, I, I don't even think it's about that they were sick of God's food. I truly think it's what it represented This is how the people of Egypt thought. These were the things of Egypt, and this is the thinking of Egypt. And after a year of hearing God, after a year of seeing God, going to the mountain, building the worship center, getting the law, getting the instructions, now they're saying, we want 
Egypt. We want to go back to that place that seems like it's abundant, but it's really not, because remember, Egypt means narrow. Narrow because not only is there a river that they call the river of life, the Nile, that has lots of produce, lots of animals really close to it. As soon as you get beyond that, it's desert. It's death here and here. That's a metaphor too a place where there could be abundance and scarcity? Who could think of such a place? Egypt, Babylon, Greece, Rome, dare I say America? I mean, we probably have more than 99% of the world, and how many of us are content? How many of us look at the TV or a magazine, or something that gets delivered to our house and says, you need this. And I'm like, oh, of course I need that. It's Egypt, and it's how we think. And that's, I believe, why God gets so angry. But he's not the only one. See, what are the people complaining about? What are they cursing this is, this is a time where we can interact now. We can learn by asking questions and sharing. You might have information that I don't have. So what are, and it's more than one thing, so what are the Israelites cursing? The unknown. Absolutely. What else? They're cursing what they've been given, which is from... They're cursing the stuff from God, right? What else? Anything else? Yeah, they're cursing their leadership. If you don't see it in this story, you'll see it in in the next one. In the verses right before verse four, they're cursing the hardship. I have a problem with saying, it's not supposed to be this hard. And my wife politely says, "Mm, who said that? Where did you get that envelope? No. Yeah, they are cursing so much more than the manna. What are they craving? Familiarity. What else? Meat. What else? Maybe the status quo. What else? What they used to have. Mm. See, I think in this story, not only do we see a reflection of ourselves, if I could say that, I think we also see three really practical actions that we can take when we can't see the gifts in front of us. Because the gift of the Spirit is right in front of us and we often miss it. But three practical actions that come right out of the text that we can see, and the first is that we be totally honest about what we're craving and what we're cursing. That we're totally honest about it. See, they're craving the unknown, they're craving the hardship, they're craving the, the things they used to have. And yet, they should have matured. They should have grown. They should have remembered that God has been providing for them for over a year, that the manna continues to show up. Not only that, that the manna shows up double on on, uh, the the sixth day, so on the seventh day, they can rest. 
They, as, as slaves, they never had a day off. They are being reprogrammed. It's like, it's not the whole 30, it's the only man of 365. And after a year, they're tired of it. I think God is gracious through the scriptures and he loves them through the scriptures. In fact, as much as I want to compare the manna and the meat, that's not what the writer does, but we'll get to that in a second. But they should have grown, they should have matured, they should have seen this, and I think religion's answer is always a should. But relationship is be honest. So, back to my friend Allison in her whole 30, when she was like, oh, I just want some, insert appropriate food, her husband says, well, then just do it. And it was brilliant, because not only could she not whine about it then, but it was brilliant because she could be honest. What is it like for you to have a space where you can be totally honest? Where you can step into a room with people that you know love you, even if they're going to be honest and not let you whine, but let you be honest. Is it not life-giving? Is it not comforting? Is it not safe? When we can be honest, we're allowing people to step into relationship with us. And these people are just whining. They're not the only ones that are whining. However, how about Moses? When the people complain and they're at their doors and the rabble has spread this discontent through all of camp and now everyone's at the door, it makes it clear that every family is there. Then Moses is like, oh, why have you brought this trouble, this evil, this death to me? What have I done to displease you, God? Because we must have this conditional relationship, right? Like when I do something good, you like me, and when I do something bad, then you don't like me. So that's what Moses is thinking in his head. I can't carry all these people myself. Where am I supposed to find all this meat? If I found favor in your eyes, kill me now. I would say that's honest. See, religion says should, but sometimes relationship will allow for the word sucks. Maybe you don't like that word, but that's pretty much what Moses is saying. What is he cursing? It's a little harder one than the last one. It's a little easier to say what the Israelites were cursing, but what is Moses cursing? The burden of the people? What else is he cursing? God? The God-given responsibility. He's cursing the responsibility. Whew. That, was, that was a good one, Ken. Anything else that he's cursing? This is challenging, yeah. Have anybody prayed for patience? Because God just doesn't give you patience, does he? He puts super annoying people in your life for you to practice patience. What's up with that? If you don't believe me, just try it. What's Moses' job? You can get this. What's Moses' job right now? Leading the people. He's, he's there to be the leader. So what is God doing? By giving him challenging people. He's making him a better leader. 
<laughs> That's pretty awesome on this side of the page. <laughs> but maybe God does that in our life too. Because Moses isn't that special. Because there might be something that God is calling you to, that God sees in your life, that he's designed and gifted you for, and he is allowing you to go through challenging situations to make you the person that he already sees. And Moses, I gotta give him credit, he is honest. And that's the first step. If we don't wanna miss the gifts that God has put in front of us, we've gotta be totally honest about what we're craving and about what we're cursing. But we can't stop there. We gotta be curious about what we're feeling and what God might be doing. Be totally curious about it. See, when my friend Allison hears this permission to like eat the food, back to the Whole30 if you're not sick of hearing about it, there's this light bulb that goes off. Not only can she not like whine about it now, she has to say, well, wait, why, why would I not do that? And it, it makes her think about why she even started the diet in the first place and the goals and what she wants to get out of it. It was brilliant. Super wise, by the way. Super wise, right? Why is Moses cursing? Because it's hard, because it's challenging, because the people are annoying. So, so what are the Israelites to Moses? It's a little bit harder one. We're going to go a little step up, so now we need the really smart people. What are the Israel? You can't, you can't do that. Like, you think I'm smart? What are the Israelites to Moses? More. More. Yes, there's children. Yes, there's followers. How is he seeing them? What else? Burden, responsibility. What are the Israelites complaining about? Life. And how are they staying alive? With the food, with the manna. What are the Israelites to Moses? The manna. They're a gift from God that he is stuck with. He can't go find a new people. He doesn't have choice in the wilderness. There's not some opening for shepherd leader of God. I mean, the Midianites aren't calling, the Perizzites aren't calling, the Jebusites aren't calling. He is stuck with these people. And they are a gift from God. Maybe the situation you're in right now is exactly the gift that God wants to give you. But you've got to be curious about it in order to see it. All right. So, the people, they crave this food, and they then take just hordes of it. They, they consume it with mass hysteria. And as much as I want to compare the meat and the manna, that's not what the text does. The text compares 
the desire for this quail or this meat and the desire for God's spirit. They go back and forth in the text. We've got, if you want to write it down, there's a little outline here. They cry for meat. Moses cries for help. God says he's going to send the spirit. Then God says he's going to send the meat. And then he sends the spirit, and then he sends the meat. It completely makes no sense, or at least it did for about a month for me, until I realized that that's exactly what God is doing. He wants to see these two things juxtaposed with each other. Do you want to take care of your physical comforts, or do you want my spirit where everything's going to be okay, even though it might not look okay? I'll send the elders, and the spirit will come down. Everything will be fine. Israelites, do you want to worry about your comfort and your variety and just be making sure that you have another piece of food in your mouth? Or do you want to say what Jesus said when he faced temptation in the desert? The desert, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. And the Spirit sends the quail in, and the Spirit is sent on the elders. The words all are supposed to intertwine because God is saying to us through this story, as these people eat this meat that will come out their nostrils, by the way, where is, where is food supposed to go in and out of? Our mouth, not our nostrils. When God breathed into Adam and made him a living being, he breathed through his nostrils. That's where the spirit comes in. The ruach, God's wind, goes through our nostrils and yet God is saying, I mean, I think it's kind of funny, that the this, the meat is going to come out of your nostrils because people, you're not getting it. And as they eat this meat for a month, what hangs in the balance is, will the people follow God's spirit? Will they live by the power of the spirit? Or will they just be satisfied with meat? And I believe for restoration for us all and us each, that's the question. Will we follow God's spirit truly, wholly, independently? Which, by the way, is the third step of seeing the gifts in front of us. Be completely honest, be totally curious, and then be totally dependent on God's spirit. Jesus says, when he is speaking to his followers thousands of years later, he says, why do you worry about what you eat or what you wear? That's what other people worry about, but God He cares for you so much. He will never let you go hungry. He will never let you go naked. I mean, he closed the birds of the air. He closed the flowers on the field. Why do you worry? You're just wasting your time, basically. But seek first his kingdom and being right with him. And then all those things will be added that you need. This is the invitation to life that God is asking us to do And it starts with us not missing what he's put in front of us. So it might look like for you, it might look like saying, oh my gosh, the people and the situation I'm in, whether it's work, whether it's kids, whether it's parents, whether it's friends, they are a gift and I need to see them as that. But please, God, don't let me just say should. Please let me be honest about how I'm feeling. But then, God, help me to wonder why this is bothering me so much. 
Help me to be dependent on you, God. Help me to trust you in this situation because maybe you're making me a better person. Maybe you're making me a more committed follower and I want to trust you with my whole life. Maybe that's how God is stepping towards you today. Maybe you're just ready to say, Jesus, you know what? This is it. I've been trying to control my life with you on the side. Now I want you in charge because you on the side is not life but you in charge with you as Savior, that's life, and I commit my life to you. And if that's you, pray, thank you, God, for saving me and help me to follow you, to let you lead me, and you will have life. That might be what God is doing in your life, but it might be that you want to say, okay, I want to trust you in ways that don't make sense. So maybe if one of the ways that that is is you're going to join a life group. Maybe you're going to step into a situation where you're going to serve and you're gonna join a team, even though you're not quite sure how it's gonna make sense. Maybe you're gonna say, okay, I wanna give. I wanna give joyfully, I wanna give regularly, I wanna give sacrificially of my finances because I look at that every day, and that's an easy way to trust. And we have a budget that we've approved for Derek to come in, and so we believe we have the money, but we also realize that there's been some families that have had some financial hardships in the last few months, and so they haven't been able to give what they want to give. So we don't want to fall behind as we take on this extra expense of a person. And so maybe that's how God is inviting you. And finally, maybe he's inviting you by saying, you know what, I've been hearing about these disciple groups, these ways that we can really truly multiply our faith, not just grow in our faith, but actually help someone else to the point that they can help someone else. And they sound like they're a higher commitment. I don't know too much about them, but they are a higher commitment but they will actually transform your faith in ways that maybe no other group has transformed your faith. And so maybe that's how God is calling you. And so if you want to know more information about that, we've got a few handouts in the back. You can talk to me after. But these are all different ways that I believe that God's Spirit is at work in 2016 right around us today. He has more ministry for us. He has more possibilities for us. He has his spirit ready to take us to places if we say, yes, let's go. Would you pray with me? God, as the band comes up, as we think about what it means to respond to you, I pray that we would just linger for a couple more minutes, God. We would linger with your Holy Spirit. God, about what it means for us to see what you have in front of us. God, that you would speak to us about what is the gift in front of us that we are missing because we want something else. God, no matter how old we are or how young we are, there are all things that we can look and say, if only. But I pray, God, that we wouldn't miss it because we want your spirit. We want life. Thank you for stories that are real, that are funny, that bear way too much truth. Speak to us. Amen. If you have a story that it is well, that you have, that you've just lived in the power of the Spirit, that you understand the things I'm talking about, would you go to the prayer cove and tell us a story of praise that might encourage us or someone else? And if you're not sure how to do that, if you're at the other end where you're saying, hey, I just, I just don't know what it means to live by the power of the Spirit, go to the Paracope. We would love to talk to you about that. And if you think you have an idea 
of what it means to live by the Spirit, if you think you can just see the gift in front of you with the help of the Spirit, then would you go in that knowledge, that little bit of faith? It might be as small as a piece of manna that God will take you, that he'll feed you, that he'll give you the power and the presence and the will to not only be full, but share with others. Because there is a hungry, desperate world. Would you make a new friend on the way out too? Have a great day.